me welcome uh, I was Caroline. Uh, I had already given a brief of who she is, but for those who are still joining, uh, as I had said, we will have an, an, an expert, someone who's a divorce attendee, someone who has worked in that arena and area for long. Uh, so we have tonight with us I was Caroline Mochete, who, as I had already said, she's a managing director of a, a, a legal entity that basically it's their own, uh, where they deal with divorces and deceased estates. But since tonight we're talking about divorces, she'll be specifically speaking into that. And I had mentioned that she has other experiences that I will leave to her to share just in terms of her own experiences as a person and in the light of her work, she'll talk to us about the marriage contracts, the legal proceedings about divorce and um, what the clients have experienced have giving us feedback and what has, has been her observations. I've forwarded her some of the questions you have asked. Thank you. Over to you. All right. All right. Cool. So um, as already introduced, my name is Caroline. Actually, but obviously we all have, well, most of us have these slave names. So it's Caroline Mokhetle. Um, I am a divorced, divorce attorney. That's how I normally introduce myself because I'm also divorced and I deal with divorces. Um, I started dealing with divorces in 2011 when I was working at a law firm called Knowles Hussein and Lindsay Attorneys. So um, I've been dealing with it a lot. Um, yeah, so I'm a managing director now of Mojitli and Attorneys, which is my law firm. And I've dealt with about whew, over 70 divorces under my own company alone. We also deal with the administration of deceased estates, but this doesn't obviously cover that. So we'll deal with the divorce side. Um, when I was talking to Pastor Mozipe, he explained to me that the main purpose of this presentation would then focus on the types of marriages in terms of contracts, we all know the contract is in what we get into when we get married. It's married in commercial property, out of commercial property, with accrual and without accrual. So the marriage in terms of um, commercial property, everybody knows what it means, 50-50. I'm not even going to delve into that at all because when you do pass on, you leave to me what you had. And that's as good as it goes, right? So um, the other type of matrimonial property regime that people get mixed up is the marriage in community of property with accrual, and the other one is without accrual. The marriage in community of property with accrual. This is the kind of marriage that I always, always encourage my clients by knowing they have been divorced before or they are getting married after 
they had actually accumulated some kind of property or wealth. So if you're getting married and you don't have a significant amount of pension fund or you don't have any assets, you, you just, let's say, as Black people would say, there's nothing for you to protect. This is not for you. You get into this kind of contract if Onali, number one, bana from a previous marriage and you need to protect them. If you need to protect your kids and you had a house somewhere and you want your kids to have that house, then what your attorney will do is they will enter you into a marriage out of community of property with accrual to make sure in your contract you can actually say to her, I am giving my kids this house and this is what I'm giving to my wife. So you need to have some kind of an asset. You can't just enter into this without an asset. You can't say, I want my kids to have something that is in the future. Because this marriage counts for what you have already accumulated. So let's say then you enter into the marriage today. Today is the 7th of May, 2021. You sign the contract and tomorrow you get married. Everything that happens from the 8th of May, 2021, you share with your wife or your husband. That marriage then becomes in community of property. Everything that you had before the 8th of May, 2021, is out of community of property. It's not counted. We note this in the contract, Kuri. What did you have? What did the wife have? And what did the husband have? And we always encourage our clients to be as honest as possible. But in the case where someone is being deceitful, because we have had clients where they are not telling the whole truth, we do run a deed search. We check your properties. We literally check everything. The things that we can find, your lawyer will always find something that you're hiding and then we can just no. When we ran a deed session, we actually found that you have this and that and we've noted it in the contract. So that's also going to be out of commercial property. And going forward from the date when everything that you guys do is in commercial property, it's accumulated. On the day that you got forsaken, get divorced, um, then we're going to have to calculate your accrued value. So now what this means is from the date, 37, counting backwards, when you entered into the marriage, how much did you have? And then we're going to put that aside. From that point on, 38, up until the date of the divorce, how much do you have? That amount is going to then be divided by two as community of property. Then you guys are going to divide it 50-50, sort of marriage in community of property. So that's how marriages out of community of property with accrual work. As long as the accrual, so the accrual, it actually means you only accrue what you have benefited after you got married, what you, what the other person got when they were not with you, it's not your business. Don't mind yourself about that. That is not your business. We start from the date and when I say I literally mean not the date 
Amahadi or anything like that. And I will get into that at Amahadi a bit later, just not now. So now there is a marriage out of community of property without approval. What this means is simple. What's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. This is the marriage that most people say, I encourage all of my clients to enter into this kind of marriage because most people living in the generation that we live in, um, most people have had side hustles. They have side hustles, they have bad credit, and they have all sides of business that are happening. Most people are directors. So a marriage out of commercial property without a flaw benefits, number one, a businessman. If a man has a business or a woman like myself has a business, they need to get into this type of marriage so that it does not actually affect their marriage. This type of contract is going to protect you. It's going to protect your family as well. Companies these days, they get into so much debt. They get into contracts that they don't know for the implications that's on going forward. It's over aim, you understand. So when you do get married out of commercial property without approval, you have that contract with you to, to say to any debtor who comes after you, Hori, but I'm married out of commercial property without accrual. And I'll elaborate on that using my example. So I was married in 2012, right? I got married in 2012. I was still a student when I got married. Um, and I met you, and I, sorry, I graduated when I was in 20, when it was 2013. At 2014, my husband had a business. It was his own business. And 2016, his business went bankrupt. What happened then was the people that he was owing tried to go after me for his debt because we were married. So they came after me, meaning they were issuing summons for debt collection and asking the courts to actually garnish my salary. Because at the time, I was earning about 30,000 rand somewhere there. So they actually wanted the courts to garnish my salary to say that I am liable to pay for my husband's debt, which they are not wrong. I am liable. But... We were married out of commercial property without accrual, meaning what's mine is mine and what's his was his. And so any debt that he had accrued, whether before or during the marriage, I had nothing to do with it. He does not have to co-sign on any loan that I get into, and neither did I. We don't have to consult each other when it comes to or anything like that. We didn't have to consult each other. So I was able to actually produce evidence to say, look, hey, this person, trust that you understand. Like I trusted this person to actually consult with me when they take loans. I didn't know about this type of loan, but I'm not liable for that. I'm not going to pay for that because I didn't even co-sign for it because we made out of criminal property. And when we did actually get to court, they found that there's absolutely no way that these people can say, I must pay. But if you married in commuter of property, the bad thing is you will need to pay. They will garnish it. And you can divorce the person later on. But as long as lineage, 
you divorce them later, Marascolo Dosseo, it will always carry on with you until Osepatela, because you're not delinquent or insolvent or whatever word you want to use. So that is now the benefit. That, that's the biggest benefit that I can give you for marriages out of commercial property without accrual. Another benefit is when you are a business owner, like myself right now, obviously I'm not remarried, it's still too early, but as a business owner, if I were to actually get married, in terms of me getting a loan for the business, it would be a hassle for every time me something over maybe let's say a hundred thousand rand, I have to ask my husband to co-sign the loan for me. That doesn't work. If you married income to a property, you ha- they have to co-sign or they have to get the call. Or out of commercial property with accrual, they still need to get a call or they need to co-sign the loan for you. As a business owner, you honestly do not even have the type of money or the type of time to have to go through the admin of all of that. What I always, always encourage my people, my clients, is, and this is this is the part that um, sort of overlaps with being a Christian who believes in marriages, which I still do, I honestly do. Um, a Christian who believes in marriage, who believes in the divine intervention of God and a lawyer who, who believes that we live in the world and that certain things just need to be real. And I always tell my clients, if you're trying to get into a marriage that suits you, look at your specific circumstances before. Consult an attorney. Your attorney will most likely, most likely, recommend that you get married out of community property without a pool because that has a little bit more of a safeguard for you as the attorney's client should things go wrong. But if you're trying to say you love this person and how about if you are deceased or whatever, if you get divorced, then you can get married out of community property with a cruel. So then let's just go then deep into the out of communal property with the cruel, right? Because without a cruel, it's here. You guys don't have to share anything at all. And I hope if you guys are jotting it down, you can ask me any questions on it. And then maybe I can elaborate a little bit more on that. But um, with a cruel, there are specific donations that you can make to your spouse. So if there are things that you have accrued before you got married, let's say you've been dating and you know for a fact that this person has actually contributed so much into your livelihood and your livelihood and you feel that it would not be fair for them to not get anything from the estate should you get to this. You can specifically donate certain things to them there's nothing that actually excludes you from saying this is how much i want to give to my spouse the contract is mainly guided by what you want so if any of you guys are actually still about to get married i don't know if any of you guys are about to get married but if you are look into the two types of marriages that have the contract, the out of community property 
with accrual and just talk to your attorney about the possible options that are available to you, what kind of clauses are available to you. Most of my clients prefer the, the cheating clause. The person who cheats in the marriage is the one who will walk out with nothing. South Africa is a no-fault divorce country. So the person who cheats will not forfeit everything, unfortunately. Um, we're living in a, in a country that divorce laws, that's on, they are not based on morals, but they're based on legal principles. So the contract itself should say who does what. So, okay, let me just then do this, actually. I feel like I missed something. With the in-community of property, because I feel like this question is going to come up. In-community of property, when you do get divorced, now, this is what's going to happen. You are going to have to share 50% of your pension fund benefit. Not your whole pension fund. The pension fund benefit interest. And the interest is mainly governed by whatever pension fund you are under, mainly every month or some people every quarter, they get their statements where it actually says how much they are going to get. And the interest is what your spouse is going to get. So now when there is cheating involved, that's why I'm just bringing it back to the whole cheating thing, the no fault country thing. If someone did cheat and you are married in community of property or they used to beat you up or your spouse used to rape you or your spouse did something horrible to you, it depends really. Like, I mean, every case, it's a Mayakadi case. Whatever circumstances, you can bring them up to the court. There is something that we call Section 9 of the Divorce Act, 1917. And it says, the spouse that is undeserving of the 50% can actually forfeit it. So it's section nine, it's called forfeiture of patrimonial benefits. And I'll repeat that for whoever's taking notes. It's section nine of the Divorce Act, forfeiture of patrimonial benefits. That says whoever was at fault cannot benefit from the benefits of the marriage. So if you are trying to cling on to something wrong, and it needs to be something that was really, really wrong because our courts are very strict. So it needs to be rape. It needs to, it needs to be a heinous thing that they've done to you. You can't say, and I felt bad and I didn't like that. So I don't want them to get 50% of my pension fund interest. They will get 50% of your pension fund interest because you elected to actually get into this type of matrimonial property regime, whereas there are other property regimes that you could have elected to go into, but you did not. So I think um, all of you just, just write it on the side, section nine, forfeiture of patrimonial benefits. Um, that's the most important thing that you need to know if you are married and come to a property and you don't want your spouse to get everything that they want to get. 
most of the time my clients come and um, I've had about 90% of my clients are married income to property um, and they don't have contracts, they don't have anything. But we've always been able to either number one, claim section nine, and we've been able to do that successfully. So if you are going to get divorced, make sure who your lawyer is very experienced and can sort of word things so that the magistrate or the judge can actually understand what you're talking about. Or number two, you can actually settle out of court where you offer your spouse something else to the benefit of them. And I'll use that as an example as well. Myself, what I did was I knew for a fact that my husband was not going to just walk away, even though there was a contract. I knew that he was not going to walk away. He was going to put up a fight. So what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to now offer you the house. I'm giving you the house and you need to walk away from the whole marriage. You only get to have the house and we evaluate the house. So that means that what we do, we get into a settlement agreement. What are we settling out of court? Eventually it gets to court. It just doesn't go through trial. So it will get to court. And by the time it gets to court, already resettled, we have a settlement agreement. Take the house. I'm walking away. I'll buy my own house. And let's see. And he signed it. Different scenario. Husband and wife are married. They're living in the same house. Both of them are ending probably 15,000 rent. No one can actually afford to buy that other one out. One of them has been working for 10 years. The other one has been working for 15. The one who 15 years, pension fund are high, has a coup way more than the other person. So what do we do? We enter into a settlement agreement where we say to them, listen, you, because your, your pension fund has actually accrued way more than our clients. Can you give our client 50% of your pension fund and you forfeit hers? She doesn't give you anything, right? And you walk away, you keep the house, you keep everything. That means our client, if she's a woman or a man, they keep that whole 50% of the pension fund. Most of the time, the pension fund is about 700,000 rand, 500,000 rand. Clients are happy to walk away with that kind of money because there is a chance that you can't actually walk away with anything. So that's option number three. Option number, no, that's option number two, sorry. Option number three gets a little bit more complicated because now there's kids involved. Where there's kids involved, kids need to see their parents and... Um, Unfortunately, when you're involved in a divorce that has kids, you need to involve, um, number one, the social worker and the family advocate. A family advocate is um, it's an office of the magistrate and the high court where the social workers and an actual advocate of the court sits down and evaluates the living situations that the kids are going to be involved in, that they're going to be exposed to. So option number three is a little bit more complicated you guys can enter into a settlement agreement, but the settlement agreement will be assessed thoroughly. So um, what's going to then happen is um, they're going to need to understand why you have entered into the type of settlement agreement that you had entered into. 
and how you actually arrived at that. Most of the time, if it's questionable, they will ask to meet the kids. So your attorney will always draft the settlement agreement in such a way that the family advocates, the last person who actually sees the settlement agreement, doesn't have to ask questions about it. They're going to say that um, parental rights and responsibilities need to be shared between both parties, things like that. Um, the father or the mother, whoever does not get um, primary residence, primary residence meaning wana utilalemang, um, the, the person who does not have the primary residence can see them every other weekend, meaning this week they're, they're with their mom and the next weekend they're going to be with their dad. It gets, yeah, this one gets a little bit more complicated, but um, if anyone is in the situation, just, um, just note it so that I can elaborate on that because elaborating on it now is going to child so much time. And I don't know if we have the time for that, but um, I just wanna move along. Yeah? So um, Pastor Motipe just um, tried to say to me, Hore, I needed to explain to you guys the whole divorce process in full as to what happens when somebody decides that they want to get divorced. So I am just going to start on that. So the grounds for wanting to apply for divorce is not really mabani. You can't do that. Um, one fight does not qualify as a ground in South Africa for wanting to enter into a divorce. Adultery is not a ground for wanting to get into, to wanting to get out of a marriage, sorry. The only ground that exists in South Africa is there is an irretrievable breakdown of the marriage. Please guys, write this down because it's so important for you to understand it. I will explain it a little bit more, but please just write it down. There is an irretrievable, I-R-R-E-T-R-E-V-A-B-L, irretrievable breakdown of the marriage. And further to that, there is no hope, literally zero hope, for the restoration for a proper, loving marriage. This is so important for you guys to understand that anytime that you do decide that you want to get out of a godly institution where you said, I do, till death do us part, this is the part where you, where death does not do you part, where you decide, Horim, this is not good for me. Something should spark in you to say, I am deciding to leave this for my mental well-being, for my physical well-being. Whatever it is that sparks you to say that, divorce is not an easy thing to go into. This is now speaking from experience. It's an emotional time. The emotional turmoil cannot be explained. So you need to make sure that there is actually an irretrievable breakdown of the marriage and you have absolutely done everything. This, uh, this means you have seen 
your traditional people in the in the in the in the what do they call them for those who live um the leaders right or whoever I don't know what they call them and you have spoken to your family that he has spoken to his family both families have come together this is important for the court because on the date of the divorce they're going to ask you have both your families come together and tried to restore the marriage so this is now important if you are divorcing without intervention without counseling it won't work for the court they will decline it divorce divorce is not an easy thing divorce is such is such a hectic step in anyone's life that the court does not just grant it that easily so you need to see your pastors, you need to go to FAMSA if you can afford regular counseling. If you need to go to FAMSA, then you speak to your attorney. You can even speak to anyone who has law clinic. UNISA has a law clinic. VIT has a law clinic. UP has law clinic. So many universities have law clinics and we also have legal aid. And when you're there, you can ask them, can you just recommend a counseling site for us so that we can go and try and work it out to see if we can maybe come through some kind of a resolution. And once you have that, once you've done that, and it still doesn't work, some people really, it just, it won't work. I don't know why. I wish that I had the answers because, I mean, we all know as Christians, Holy God does not like divorce, but I don't think that he hates divorced people as well. Because, I mean, I'm divorced and God is still shining his light on me, so... I want to believe that God does not hate divorced people. But some situations, they just can't be worked out. And that is what then I would call an irretrievable breakdown of a marriage. You are in different situations, so you all know what an irretrievable breakdown of a marriage is for you. If what I'm saying is you are understanding in your head, okay, yeah, person has been doing this and really night doesn't gel well with me this is also someone who drinks way too much or is an um is, is, is gambles too much they are probably insane insanity is also a grind for divorce whatever the case may be if your husband has been in jail for more than three years you can divorce them that's fine sorry about that but um yeah so that's the ground for divorce in south africa most people think that they can actually enter into people think that they can enter into a separation, a legal separation. That does not work in South Africa, right? It's not it's not recognized at all. South Africa does not recognize separations and recognizes divorces. So if you are separated, I suggest that you consult your attorney very fast and you enter into some kind of a contract with them. I have drafted contracts where we've literally said that um, the people actually acknowledge that the marriage has actually been terminated, but it has not been terminated by Koropa. So from the state, we do not share anything because those people would have been married in commercial property. And um, contracts have a lot of bearing in South African law. So you can, you can rest assured that the contract will be taken into account when the divorce actually does happen. If the divorce does happen, sorry. If it does happen, it doesn't always have to happen. So no, you can get separated in South Africa. 
it's not recognized, but you can enter into a contract with your spouse that from this point on, we are agreeing that we are not going to share anything. And both of us also agree that it's not happening. Sorry, I just got a message. I just need to read this. Okay. All right. So um, then the process of a divorce is, oh, this is long. Okay. Process of divorce. The first is the consultation. And I'm now going to be as blunt as possible that I can with you guys. I'm going to speak from a lawyer perspective instead of a, instead of a Christian Number one, your lawyer is going to want a consultation fee. <laughs> so that's number one, right? They're going to want a consultation fee. So prepare your pockets. Divorce is not easy. It's not cheap as well. So that's number one. They're going to want a consultation fee. As much as I'm making it a joke, but that's the process. So prepare consultation fee. Consultation fee in terms of the court rules. It's supposed to actually be um, between 1,250 and 1,750. My consultation fee is 1,500 because of the area I'm in. I'm in Mamelodi. Some people's consultation fees can be 3,000 rand. You can't, you can't actually report them for that because that's their location, Bakudi Santeni and Silver Lakes. So you can't report them for that. That's just their area's consultation fee. Then from consulting with your attorney, your attorney is going to want, number one, the marriage certificate. Most people find that they are married, but have a marriage certificate. What do I mean by this? The lobola has been paid, but you have not registered the marriage in terms of the recognition of certain customary marriages act. The recognition of certain customary marriages act recommends that everyone actually does not recommend. It insists that anyone who is married under customary law, should register their marriage within three months after the after the lobola has been paid. We don't do this. Why don't we do this? Because remit is a white wedding to sign. Most people don't have that. If you have an attorney, they can rectify it. If you don't have an attorney, then what I recommend is when you do start filing for divorce, not when, why am I saying when? If you do start filing for divorce, then you need to go to home affairs, line up your witnesses, the same people that signed the Lobola letter. You need to have that Lobola letter with you. Have those people go with you to the home affairs and sign the marriage certificate because that's what's going to be needed. You are going to need witnesses. You're going to need to go there. Most, pe most people's spouses, they don't actually allow them to go. Baba don't know. So as long as you have two witnesses from the family, what happens when one party refuses to divorce? Okay, I'll just note this down. Um, now I'm, I'm just going to divert a bit now. Well, there's, there's no such a thing um, as someone actually refusing to divorce. Uh, we have something called the trial in South Africa. You, you go to trial. They, no one can actually 
guys. This is this is not possible. What you mean is, do they need to sign a certain document for them to for you to be able to be free? If a person does not want to get divorced, then you lawyer up. You lawyer up. Let's leave this um, free divorce notion, which honestly does not even exist. The free divorce notion is you can go to the magistrate's court. The magistrate's court is going to give you a document where you fill out all the documents. And then after that, you are going to go and by the time you get to the sheriff, already work or not, so it's not a free divorce. Sheriff, a certain amount of money to be able to serve the person at their house. Once they serve that person, then uh, the action has started. So now when we say a person is refusing to divorce, it means they are refusing to enter into a settlement agreement, which is fine. No one is supposed to be forced into settling into a divorce. But if when, if the plaintiff, and the plaintiff is now the person who's initiating the divorce, you are saying, I want out of the divorce. It, it, comes, it overlaps what I was saying, right? So I'll just, I'll gel it together. The minute we issue the summons, the summons have been issued. You come to my office, you pay the consultation fee. I draft the summons. I take the summons to court. You get a case number. And then I take the summons to the sheriff. The sheriff serves your spouse. After the sheriff serves the spouse, they have 10 days to respond to those summons. 10. Only 10 from the date in which they received the summons. Calculate 10 in terms of calendar days and business days, right? So what we as attorneys do is we always give them business days. The sheriff is going to give them calendar days, but we give them business days because obviously we know when we get to court, the court is going to ask us, okay, but wasn't Wednesday a holiday then? Then you fill them with egg on your face. So let's calculate it in terms of business days. The 10 days that they have to respond to your summons is going to then be only 10 business days. After 10 business days, we send them something that is called a notice of bar. This advises them that I have served you with the summons. I know that you received my summons. The sheriff told me that they have served you with my summons, but you have not said anything to me. What is happening, right? You have now five days. You extend the 10 days into five days. You have now five days to respond to the summons until when I can actually go to court and ask the court to grant default judgment. I also explain what default judgment is. If they do not respond to your summons, then you can then get default judgment, which is easy. So default judgment literally means everything that you've said in your summons that you've asked for, you asked for the house, you've asked for the pension fund, you asked for the kids, you asked for whatever that you, you think that you're entitled to. As long as passer defender, it all comes to you. That's all yours. And um, they're going to be forced into actually giving you everything that you've asked for. 
that's default judgment. When someone does not defend, you get default, like judgment by default. It's, it's a, bit, a little bit obvious, okay. And so if it's not default judgment, they do defend and then they have their own plea and counterclaim. A plea and counterclaim is they're answering your summons. They say, no, you're lying. I didn't abuse you. No, this didn't happen. On this day, this didn't happen. Paragraph something is lying. That's fine. They're entitled to do that. After that point on, that's when your attorney is going to advise you to enter into a settlement and say, look, okay, this person has told us this. Your attorney must remember it does not live with you. So they don't know what's happening in your life. They'll say, this, this person has told us this and you are telling us this. Can we somehow bring the two things together and decide, Hori, okay, who gets what and who doesn't get what? Who forfeits what? If you are lucky enough to not have an egotistic attorney, there will be more on the peaceful type of divorce, which is what my company is all about. I, I don't deal with divorces that have drama. I don't deal with drama at all. I believe that... Um, when parties are getting divorced, it's hard enough already on their psyche that they don't actually want to deal with the emotional turmoil that comes with having to fight. Like that's that's so unnecessary. So um, we we discuss things in my company. We discuss. We are experts in mediation, and somehow we always brainwash the other party to also mediate on the divorce. And most people, you find that they're very receptive. Sorry, can you change I mean, the terms of the marriage contract while you're still married? Okay, I'll answer that. Um, that is, sorry, that is called the post-nuptial contract. Ma'am. Okay, I'll answer that. Um, I'm just jotting it down. Okay, so um, I'm a big believer in a peaceful divorce. So we always try to negotiate as much as possible. For, to our clients benefit as well not just something that benefits the other party we never leave our clients interest you know but um you as as someone who's getting divorced if any of you guys are getting divorced, you already know for a fact of worry you've lost something you've lost something that is very significant um You've lost the best friend. You've you've lost the partner. You've lost a co-parent. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a very deep feeling that you're going to be going through the grief the grieving process. I mean, you will. Yeah, it's just it's a very difficult time to go through. So, I don't think that there is actually a winner when it comes to divorcing. And I don't want any of you to go in. I don't think anyone actually gets married to get divorced, but I don't want you to get divorced thinking that you're going to win because you're not going to win anything. Yes, you can get the house, you can get the cars and everything, um, but you have lost something, something that you actually believed was going to last you for like forever and that thing is gone. And you're going to have to rebuild your life. You're going to have to be this person. You're going to have to wake up alone. Like for me, um, I know I'm now diverting, but it's important for you guys to know and to understand because I deal with it every single day. 
And when I got divorced, I had been dealing with divorces for eight years. And I found myself depressed. I was not eating. Um, I lost 10 kgs in like two weeks. Um, the whole the whole thing, even though I was trained and I've I've been preaching it, I've been telling people how to deal with it. It's a bit more different when it becomes about you, you know. So that's why I get it. We always try to settle. In my company, we always just, we try to settle. And I also, I encourage you guys, for if you do find yourselves in the process of a divorce, try and settle. Have a sit down with your spouse. This is someone you used to live with. This is someone you have kids with. This is someone you said, Till death to his part, you owe them at least that last sitting to just say, look, this is what I'm giving you and this is what I'm taking. And that's it. So just um, don't go into it thinking that you're going to win. There's there's no winner. There's absolutely no winner. Um, both of you are losers. Does someone just want to say something to me? There's a voice coming through. Um, does someone want to maybe interject or something? Or should I just go on? I think you can continue. It seems to be a mistake. Okay, no, it's fine. Um, but you didn't want to say anything at all. No. Okay, all right, that's fine. Yeah, so like I was saying, um, that you you're not gonna win. But if you do actually get to a point where you're dealing with a very hostile partner, the partner is just not understanding anything um they abusive they, they you get partners that are very emotionally abusive and manipulative then you can't say well that partner does not want to get into a divorce you need to force them to divorce you that means that you go you have to go and lawyer up you need to lawyer up you need to somehow find the money if you don't have the money then you go to a legal aid office if you are earning less than 6,700 rand, you qualify for every single legal aid office in South Africa to assist you with a divorce. If you are earning more than that, then you need to spare that money and somehow get to get some kind of legal aid. If you are earning 6,000, let's say 6,700 rand, between that and 10,000 rand, I advise all of you to go to um, the Legal Practice Council offices. They are located in every province. In Pretoria, because I practice in Pretoria, they are by Church Square. And I know that in Joburg, they have offices as well by the High Court. The Yeah, I think it's the High Court. And they also have offices by the Children's Court. So just go there and ask for Legal Practice Council offices. And ask them strictly worry. You want their pro bono officers. You want to get a divorce. You can't afford it. And your partner is being hostile. Use that word. Say hostile. If they're being hostile, it means that they're not willing to come to party. They're not willing to actually negotiate with you. And the case is likely going to go on trial. Um, hello? Okay. 
Um, so if then that happens, then you can go on trial. That I mean, we've all seen Movango, guys. We've all seen all these court cases just um, showing us what uh, court cases look like, even though it's very inaccurate. But I mean, like, yes, you go on trial. We all understand what going on trial is. And one person is going to get what they want and the other person wants. But the magistrate or the judge will always make a very good ruling on it. If you guys have kids, remember, your social worker is going to make a finding. After making the finding, they're going to bring the report to the family advocate. The family advocate gives that report to the court and says, this is who the children should actually go to. Because after we've made our report and our findings, we found that this is the best person fit to have the children. The, the findings are not always fair. Um, we're living in a world where bribery is running a mark on us. Um, and I won't, I won't even lie to you guys. I've had a few cases where my social workers have found people that I knew for a fact were not meant to, to receive the children, to actually be caretakers, permanent caretakers. And the social worker has allowed it only because there was some kind of a scheme or an arrangement, you know, um, and it's always sad to see, but I mean, we're living in this world and we just deal with it as it comes. Obviously we're going to appeal. And um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I can say to you guys is just get a good attorney. Like I think the, the message of the day, if you are going to get divorced, get a good attorney, get someone who understands what divorce is, get someone who has been dealing with it for long or who is working with someone who's been dealing with it a lot. Um, and uh, just don't, don't go to these big buildings where you are just another number. Divorce is a little bit more intimate than that. You need someone who actually understands, who can sit down with you and explain to you the things that I've just explained. They can explain that to you, Mara, given your specific circumstances. Now I'm just speaking broadly. So they can attend to your specific circumstances and explain to you, Hore, this is, this is a rough road that you're about to go on and you need to prepare yourself both financially because divorce can cost anything from, the cheapest divorce that I've had was 9,000 rand. And that's the cheapest divorce that I've handled. The most expensive divorce that I've handled was no, that's not that. Oh, yes. It was 4.5 million rand. That's not the property. I'm talking about the amount that they had to pay me. That's 4.5 million rand because of how long it took, the assets that they had, and all the back and forth, the back and forth. You understand? So each time when you call your attorney, they're going to charge you. So when you do have an attorney, ukupele, number one, a schedule of fees. You need to have a schedule of fees so that you know. Anytime when you send them a WhatsApp, your lawyer is going to charge you. You're going to get an invoice at the end of that month. And that invoice is not going to be very nice. So if when at 3 a.m. you're thinking, oh no, he took the kids and you decide to text your attorney, that's 35 rand. Well, from my that's 35 rand. To somebody else, maybe it's different. Any email that you send, Nah, in my firm, that's another 35 rand. Any email, each time you ask me to call you, that's another 35 rand. 
It's time you call me. Still 35. Yes, it's your time, but it's my time. You understand? So ask for a schedule of peace so that you know and you understand what you're paying for. And every month, ask for them to give you a statement of account, just like you get from Fushini, guys. This is not rocket science. Fushini sends you a statement of account every month. Why can't your lawyer send you the same thing? I mean, they're writing fees, you are doing things, and they are calculating it. Every month, they can send it to you. The only downside to it is every time they are sending you that state of that statement of account, they are going to charge you for drafting it as well. Mara, that's like a hundred grand. So it really just depends on you. You can even just text them and say, "Hey, um, am I running? Am I running low on my deposit? Oh, I actually missed the part that deposit. Thank God that I talked about that." Okay, yeah, but just ask them that, um, am I running low on the deposit? What's happening? Um, should I be depositing more money? So let's talk about the deposit. When you do consult, this is the part that I missed. When you do consult, your attorney is going to take the matter. There is a fee called acceptance of instruction. It's governed by the rules court, right? So now... It's a, bit, it's a bit weird when attorneys don't charge that because we are competing against each other and when we are in the same avenue and one person is charging 20 rand for consultation and the other person is charging 1.5. It's a bit unfair competition. So what the court have done is they've decided or they're going to actually give us food. That's called the rules of court. And the fees are sort of around the same matter. You can decide where you want. So after you consult, yeah, most people say it's called the, what do they call it? Opening of a file, I think. Most people have said that. Yeah, a file, yes. Opening of a file. It's called the consultation, right? And then from the consultation, once you've consulted, the consultation fee is not negotiable. It's not something that you say, oh, no, um, the lawyer said he can't help me, so I'm not going to pay it. You're going to pay it. And the doctor tells you, I can't find what's wrong. I'm going to send you someone else. So that's non-negotiable. And then you get to the next fee. The next fee is called acceptance of instruction. Acceptance of instruction fee. That fee means we've accepted your instruction and we are about to start. That is also due way before the process has started, way before they've even started typing anything. They accept the instruction and then they're going to tell you, okay, Shab, you consulted at our office on this day and this is the amount that's needed to start drafting. After that, they're going to need a deposit. My deposit is always 9,000 rand. Why is it 9,000 rand? Because that experience, I've seen that the, Easiest divorces are 9,000 rand, ranking up to whatever. But the 9,000 rand only applies to me. You are going to go to an attorney that's going to ask for a deposit of 30,000 rand. Don't be alarmed. That is the fee. That is what is normally asked. 30, 40, 50, 20, whatever amount that they ask for, they know. Just ask them why specifically 
that amount so that they can actually explain to you their experiences with dealing with divorces and how it works. The thing is, I'm so close to everything. I don't need that much money. And I don't, how do I put this? I don't practice for money. I just, I do it because I feel like I'm helping people, you know. Uh, But yeah, like it will be likely, let's say average will be 30 and 40,000 rand of your of your deposit if you have paid a 40,000 rand deposit and your divorce ends after four months please ask for the invoice that you received from your attorney to be taxed by the taxing master so that you know how much is left in that deposit because most of the time what I've seen and clients walk away after the divorce was very simple. They might have paid 50,000 rand to, to an attorney. And that attorney only uses about 10 to 20,000 rand. And the 30,000 rand is going in their pocket. They need to explain to you, okay, I'm paying myself with the 30,000 rand. They can't just keep quiet about it. They need to explain to you and they need to give you an accounting statement. Anytime when you're done with a case, you deserve an accounting statement from that person. That person will tell you account. That is your money. Yes, they they rendered services, but you need to understand what those services were. Anytime when they send a letter, we jot it down. So make a sure who you ask for the accounting statement. And if the accounting statement does not make sense, just say to them, hey, so look, I had something about taxing the invoice or taxing the bill of costs. Can we do that? And if they say no, Go to court and say, and they'll, they'll send you to that person. And the taxi master will tell you if what you were taxed, well, what you were billed was actually fair or not fair. Most attorneys are, are very frivolous. They overcharge their times, depending on what kind of a car or whatever, what loans you're wearing. Most attorneys do actually overcharge. I won't even try and protect ourselves. Like, that's just what it is. We do overcharge um, based on what kind of appearance the person has um and how much we owe in rent <laughs> that's just what it is yeah um so i was also asked to just um share the feedback from from clients um yeah um okay a feedback from clients after a divorce so you 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 do the whole divorce thing and you're happy you think that you're happy most people are actually happy. Um, and the feedback is normally that they feel anxious. They start getting anxiety. Um, so how do I put this? With divorce comes a lot of um, emotional baggage and you're going to need to be at your highest spiritual level. For me, I'm talking to a church crowd, so I'm hoping that I'm not going out of 10 here. I'm not talking to like Batuba, Basaiting Mudin. You're going to be challenged a lot by your own convictions. Um, You're going to question God a lot. Um, you 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 will have off days more than good days. Most of your days will be just horrible. Um, you you lose yourself. So you're going to need to pray. 
when you least want to pray. Um, yeah, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't easy for me. And for most of my clients who have come back to me to tell me and explain to me, hey, like it's rough. I always tell my clients, well, now, now that I've been divorced, I, I'm very honest with them. And I tell them who like those days when I just, I didn't want to. Now I'm over it. But I mean, there were days when it was hard. There were days when I couldn't pray and I needed, I needed someone to intercede on my behalf. And, and I reached out. I did. I reached out. I, there was a time when I didn't want to reach out and I, I was putting up this front because it's like, oh no, she, you know, she's perfect and everything. And then there's that day when you have the, your first anxiety attack and you can't get out of bed and you can't breathe and your chest is closing up and you have a child that needs you, you need to make food and you need to go to work as well. You've got clients, you've got deadlines and you have all of that and you just crash. I'm not even saying this to threaten, to like, to scare anyone. I'm not trying to scare you guys, but it will happen. And this also applies to men it will happen to you guys because it also happened to my ex-husband that he ended up in hospital with a heart attack because he tried so hard. We both tried so hard to put up this front down. No, but you were wrong and but you were wrong. And eventually we both almost died because of this front that we're putting and we're forgetting what we have a child and we need to take care of this child. And in the same week, we both honestly ended up in hospital that same week. So you are going to go through a very hard time. But if you allow yourself to, if you pray before and you seek guidance and you don't turn your back on God and think that God has turned his back on you, you can't do that. I did that. I, I went through seven months of just not praying at all. Saying like, Maramudim, like I asked you to give me a husband and you gave him to me. And once he was with me, he stopped doing all the things that I wanted him to do. And now I'm getting divorced. How am I supposed to even acknowledge you anymore? I literally said that. I remember actually praying and giving God an ultimatum and saying, if you don't save this marriage, then I'm going to stop praying. And it wasn't safe. And for me, that was like, that was, yeah, it was, it was rock bottom. Um, so you, you are going to need to be very strong, whatever I don't know how you guys pray from CRC. I mean, like we pray, we just pray, but from my home church, we pray using candles. We pray. So I just light up my candles in my house and I start praising and just start praising and saying all these um, affirmations and everything. And I find that that brings me to calmness. So you're going to need to pray a lot. Um, but the feedback is um, you might be free, but you're not. You are going to have to deal with the aftermath of the divorce. But but after you've dealt with it, if you don't run away from it, after you've dealt with it, there is peace and there is, there is calmness. There is love. Um, and there is love after divorce. There is a lot of love after divorce. Um yeah, there's life. Hey, there's life. And you find that your child actually adjusts to everything. If you're worried about your child, your child does adjust with prayer. You just pray that your child adjusts and you pray that you and your former spouse 
you are able to actually bring everything into, I mean, this was your, your life partner so that you guys can still be friends. You bring everything together and you just co-parent peacefully, you know? So, um, yeah, I just think that it's important that you guys know. Maybe, maybe I went out of 10 by explaining that you're going to be depressed, but I mean, it's the truth. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but it's not, a, I, I was clinically depressed, but not everybody gets clinically depressed. Not everyone was in the situation that I was in. So I just need to explain that for, so that you guys understand. My situation maybe might have been the worst case scenario. Maybe you find yourself for a, the person has been abusing you. You can't really be clinically depressed because someone has, was abusing you. Maybe you can cry over the abuse, but I'm not the divorce because you're free. I don't know how it works. I've never been through that one. I'm just explaining to you guys what I've been through and what my clients have been through. And most of my clients have told me what they wanted my counselor's number because I, I went to counseling for two years. It's only two months ago now, now, like literally now in Feb, okay, now it's three months. So Kefedi's a counseling and I started counseling like in 2019 after the divorce. So yeah, you are going to need to be very, very strong and hold on to that. Just understand that God still loves you. That he has not abandoned you. This is just happening. It's part of life. That's the life that we're living in right now. And there's life, there's love. You will remarry if you want to remarry, obviously. Um, if you don't want to and you want to focus on your child, then that's also fine. Um, I encourage the parents that, the, the people that are getting divorced, if you are in the group and you're getting divorced and you have a child, I encourage you to enter into something that we call a parental plan agreement. Um, that's when you, it's very detailed. It's more detailed than a settlement agreement that your attorney will give them. A parental plan agreement or something in what I'll actually share with um, Pastor Motsepe. I'll just send it to him so that he can share it with the church, for the parents. It's not just for people that are married. It's also for the people that just have children and have separated from each other or have broken up. Cohabitation, whatever. Um, but I just want you guys to ask me any questions that you have. I think in a nutshell, I covered what I needed to um any questions by you guys are welcome at this point there are questions on the chat hi. Oh, okay yeah. hi um i sent the question on the chat but i can ask it here hi yeah. caroline yeah, so I would like to find out how many how many steps should you take or is considered reasonable for you to show that the marriage is irretrievable. Okay. Um is, is this objective or subjective? Are you asking in terms of your personal circumstances or just objectively so? Objectively so. Objectively, so is the first step is talking to your spouse about the problems that you're having. Um, when that fails, you involve your parents, the people that got you guys married, because we are blacks, so we always have people that were involved in the whole lobola situation. And then from that point on, 
If that fails, then you go for counseling. When that fails as well, then you can consider the marriage irretrievable. So let's say three steps. Okay. Yeah. All right. I hope that it, does it make sense though? Yeah, it does make sense. So that is is you're saying that's what the court will look at. They will look at that. They will look at how many times have you actually tried? Look, if if um you are telling the court that the marriage is irretrievable, they are going to get you a divorce. It's just that it's not that easy. They will ask you, but I've seen I've seen cases in magistrates court they grant divorces like nobody's business. But in the high court it's a little bit more different because they take it seriously. In the magistrates court you can say somebody cheated and I don't have an interest in being with them anymore and they're going to grant it. But the minute you get to the high court it's a different situation. So the scenario that I gave you guys is actually yeah. the hardest scenario that is possible. Okay. And then the other question I had was that if you, if you, because you um you talked about settling outside of court and then settling in court, so I just wanted to know if you decide to settle in court, are you? Does it mean that you have to go through a trial? Okay. So let me maybe explain this a little bit better. Any settlement, any time, elite divorce will need to go through court. Yeah. There is settling out of court, but the court will still need to actually be the ones to say the settlement is acceptable to us. Your settlement, your signatures on the settlement agreement is not the final say. The final say is the court. Yeah. So settling outside of court means you two are agreeing outside of court, wherever you are in your lawyer's office, that this is what we want. And then from that point on, your lawyer is going to put a notice of set down to the court and tell the court that you have reached a settlement and they would like for the court to view the settlement and determine if it's acceptable to them. So as long as the settlement there is in line with the Children's Act, should they be children, then that's fine. When it comes to adults, adults are free to make their own decisions. So the court won't look too much into what you guys have said about each other they will give you what you want as long as the wedding is correct and you guys are not being ambiguous. Like saying, you cannot call me at unreasonable times. No, you can't say that in a settlement agreement. You, can, you should say, you cannot call me between nine, 1900 hours up until 5 a.m., you understand? So that's settling outside of court. The court will still need to give you an order. The only thing is, it's easier. You go... They ask you, is this your signature? You say yes. The magistrate says, okay, sharp. Um, the lawyer talks you through everything. They're going to explain to you what's happening. They will ask you questions. You consulted with us. How many kids do you have? Literally everything that's happening in your life, they're just going to convey to the court again. That's settling out of court. They will convey to the court, tell the court what's happening with the whole case. And then the magistrate will decide if it's fair for a divorce or not. Settling at court is when you say, me and my husband, it's like I'm the previous person who said, one party refuses to divorce. That's when we force the other party to come. And we say, 
we want a pre-trial conference where the magistrate can actually tell us what we should do because we don't know. We have failed. We've tried everything that we could, but how like we are fighting. Eh? And the magistrate tells you what to do. And after the magistrate tells you what to do, you still have an option to accept or deny. That's the thing. Even during the pretrial, you can say, uh-uh, I refuse. You understand? Like the person refusing to divorce, they can say, no, I don't agree with, with what the magistrate is saying. They can say that to the magistrate and say, it's not fair. Then the magistrate says, okay, then let's go to trial. Mara settling inside court and outside court does not involve trial. It's a settlement. Trial is something that happens after the settlement Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And then my last question. Um, I think I my my I got a disturbance on Zoom when you were talking about the cheating clause. So I want to find out: Can you put a cheating clause in a um if you are married in uh, out of community of property without accrual? Can you put a cheating clause there? You want to put a cheating clause there? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to? No, no I'm asking. No, I'm asking because you are saying that adultery is not grounds for divorce. It's not. So if you okay. want to make it grounds for divorce, can you put it in that contract, in your contract? Yes, you can. The contract, the benefit of an antinuptial contract is that you guys create your own laws in the Republic. You understand? That's mm. why we encourage our clients to enter into the contract. Um, you can say, I have, uh, let me just, um, okay. I will now, I'll read, but obviously I can't say the names, right? But I'll read it. Um, so I'll say, um, party A, nah, so, okay, so now this is my person. It says, um, party A specifically donates one, two, three, four items to this person. This is our antinuptial contract, right? These are all the gifts that were given to us on our loved one. Should party A be, number one, caught cheating or Number two, fall disabled. They forfeit such gifts. You mm. see? Yeah. Um, this is just now one of the contracts that are, well, this is the closest one to me now. Um, you can say um, if the, the, the person who was at fault I mean, we, we live in a no-fault country, like I said, but you are free to say the person who was caught cheating cannot now claim any benefits from the marriage. They forfeit. And that contract is going to be the one that rules your marriage. So when you get divorced, if you get divorced, then, um, yeah, they, they can't get anything at all. All right. So you can put it in. You can, if you want to, don't trust in God. Don't. <laughs> no, please put it in. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just that most of the time when we think about the prenuptial contracts, we think of it in terms of assets, you know, declaring what assets you have. But mm-hmm. I was just interested that you could put in a clause of like repercussions. What happens if one partner does something you know yeah of course and um i've i've dealt with um antinatural contracts where people have said uh like this is now an old very old couple that said they are they have a child that is married to somebody that they don't like and they put it in their contract that they're giving her this but it's not a will it's an antinatural contract remember but they still said um when they do get divorced, they're giving everything to their child in the antinatural contract. So no one gets in. This is not a will. The antinatural contract. Yeah. We give everything to our, to our child. But if if she is still married to this person, she forfeits it. Mm. They right. didn't say no. If if she doesn't, if she, they didn't say she should get it alone or anything. They said if she's still married to this person, then why forfeit? So, you know, like um, public public policy also comes into play. But I mean, it is what it is. It's their contract. They can say what they want to say. All right. Thank you, Caroline. All right. Thank you, Offense. Do I have somebody else maybe who has a question? Hi, Caroline. Hi, Ndibu. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, yeah, you, we share the same name. <laughs> you you spoke about um, section nine when you started, yes. um, and then you said that if the one party is being bad to the other, you can actually say that they must not get the fifty percent that they are liable for or that they are liable to get. Um, so my question is. <laughs> Would I have needed to to have taken formal steps that I can prove to the court um, that these are the these are the bad things that this person has done in order for it to stand in the court of law? No, um, a section nine just needs for you to literally state it and explain it to the court to the extent it it helps when you have proof of the misdemeanor that they've been involved in. But I mean, you have people that have been in very abusive, very, very abusive relationships that never take pictures. So how are they going to be assisted? So no, you don't actually need to prove anything. You just need to outline it, draft it in your in your papers, in your summons, the, the extent of the abuse or whatever reason that you have for not wanting the person to get the patrimonial benefits. And I think that's enough. You don't, you, 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 if, as far as you can prove it, I mean, prove it as far as you can. But the court is not going to force you to prove it. They can't force you to prove it. They understand that some things just can't be proved. Okay. I think I'm covered. Thank you. All right. Um, I actually had someone who was asking me about um, a post-nuptial contract about what happens. Um, can you actually change the terms of a contract once you've been married? Yes, you can. It's called the post-nuptial contract. So the anti-nuptial contract is filed at the deed office where you have your title deeds and everything. That's where 
everything that deals with people's property is being stored. As soon as you decide that the terms that you guys have entered into don't serve you anymore or don't help you, you are more than welcome to consult an attorney and a notary and advise them. It's best if your attorney is actually a notary as well. N-O-T-A-R-Y, a notary. So if your attorney is a notary, they can just make you sign another post-nuptial agreement. This is now after the nuptials, after the marriage. And the new one will just take pre preference. It doesn't, it's not that complicated at all. It's just another contract that just needs to say, this is the newest contract. It's like getting into a new year. Do I have somebody else? Maybe. Um, yeah. So there are questions on the chat that have not been answered. Um, I don't know if you mind. I don't know if you mind if I read them out to you. Yes, you can. Please, please tell them. Please tell me one by one because I can't see any questions. I'm trying to access them, but I can't see them at all. I'm so sorry about that. I can't see them. Okay, so there's one question that says, what is or what was the rate of divorces during or after the lockdown cases that we dealt with? <laughs> Um, yeah, hey, with lockdown, hey, we had business, I won't lie, <laughs> this is so bad, no, um, uh, so with lockdown, obviously from March up until May, things were okay-ish, but, um, we found that from July, June, maybe July, um, a lot of women that, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Okay, I'm allowed. All right. So no, a lot of women have been the ones to actually issue for divorce. They've been filing for divorce. Um, women that end more than their husbands, they found that they can't stand their husbands. Um, they just could not stay in those marriages anymore. Please repost what has not been responded to. Okay. Um, yeah, so most um, of the people that we had a lot, let me say the rate, I can't say the rate because I have not calculated it as yet, but we've had twice more clients in a day, whereas in a day like our walk-in clients, I'm not talking about people that call and make an appointment. I'm talking about now people that... Um, actually would just walk in they they have doubled since the lockdown has started and most of them are women most of them are women that work most of them are women that out and their husbands and have just figured out this person now can't stand them anymore and they are out and you find that the court is also faster in issuing a divorce now during Hello, offense. Yes. Uh, yeah. I heard you say that with your clients, you advise them to to enter the the contract where it's out of community of property without accrual. Ne? Yes. 
So yeah. I want to know what's the upside of that when it comes to divorce? How do you then share what you have accrued in the in the marriage? Because you find situations where the one partner maybe earns more than the other and at divorce, then that one partner claims everything. But we understand, well, I understand that in marriage, it's not always going to be a financial contribution, you know, yeah. where you show that you have accrued or you've, you've accumulated things together. Okay. So um, the most important thing to understand offense is that when you do consult with an attorney, they're going to take your personal circumstances into account. Um, we had a client who was a housewife, had been a housewife for about forever, before we live in Tamahagi. And that's also something else that you guys need to also understand. Even though the Lobola has only been half paid, you can enforce the marriage, right? But if somebody has a question on that, then I can talk about it. But that's not the question now. How does the court ascertain that there were interventions in an attempt to enforce the marriage? Okay. So anyway, um, I'll answer that just now. So um, when you do consult to have the marriage contract, the antinuptial contract, we always assess the personal circumstances. If you're consulting with me, Offense, there's no way, as you are telling me, Hore, I am not working and everything, and I say it should be out of committee of property without accrual. What are you going to accrue? How is that to your advantage? Obviously, I'm going to say, okay, out of committee of property with accrual, from the day that you guys are married, then everything accrued is going to be together. You understand? But bear in mind that most of the time, the husband if the husband is the one who's very, very moneyed, he has a higher voice. He can just give you one look during the consultation and you don't know what to say. And you guys decide to go for the out of community without a cool. Most, most husbands are like that. If they are moneyed, then they are like that. So now we have the grade of our courts who say, okay, maybe the international contract was not entered into by free will. You can contest the actual contract. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can contest at, it. You can. You contest it at the point of the divorce. Yes, you can. Even if you want to contest it before, it's fine. It's up to mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, it's, on, it's honestly up to you what you decide to do. But yes, the contract can be contested. You can decide to enter into a different matrimonial property region. You can. Um, housewives have been given by the courts, obviously, leeway to do this because they the courts have seen that they contribute so much to the livelihood of the house that the husbands take it for granted. And if they were not there, the husband would actually have to get a maid um, and they would pay the maid. So the, the courts are saying that they have contributed as well. So they deserve to get the 50%. So the courts also have the power to outrule the whole contract. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a question. 
Yes. Um, uh, sorry, Ndi. Before you ask your question, can you go through the ones that are not answered? Uh, Where are you guys Where I'm it's, it's part of what is not yet answered. It's not my, my okay. question. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. So this person is on Facebook and they can't post. I don't know what's going on on Facebook. So I'm hoping I captured the question well, but they are saying that what happens in an event wherein um, you had a spouse who was previously married and before they could sign a divorce in their first marriage, um, they went into another marriage with someone else, but they die before signing divorce in the previous marriage. Can the other person, and they don't have a will, can the other person now come and claim? Um, Which other well, person? Well, I guess, so there is they, two wives here. Yeah, this, can the first wife who was meant to be divorced um, come and have claim in the property of this um, okay. man? And, yeah, that was married for the second time. Okay, so this is what happens then. They're not divorced, like at all, but it's during the divorce process. Yeah, so the divorce is never enacted. Okay, so the issue here is um, when you do die without living well, you are dying interstate, and the rules of Interstate Succession Act are going to take cost which means that your wife is going to actually get 50 percent um i'm wondering why they wouldn't get divorced and my other question is how are they getting married to somebody else without getting divorced unless if it's through lobby right because you can't in south africa it's illegal to marry two people via civil law if you're going to take a second wife the first wife cannot be a civil wife if the first wife is a civil wife like then the second one should definitely be a customary marriage. If it's like that, then the two wives are going to have to share. There is no way the first one can be run out by the first one, by the second one, by virtue of the fact that there was a divorce proceeding, unless they can actually prove that his intentions were that he didn't want her to get anything which is a bit hard. So that's now a high court application. But I mean, they both deserve to get it. What happens when people divorce is um, you, can't, you can't marry somebody else before you've already divorced us. Like that's just careless, you know. And for us to actually expect the courts to say what our true intentions were, it's a little bit more of a, like you being nonchalant about your life, why should they care? But if you do divorce, successfully divorce, the court gives you three months to change your will if you had a will. Now, if, you, if three months passes and you have not changed your will, your will still says that your ex-wife gets everything. Your current wife can't get anything because you had three months to change it and you have not changed it. But now in this situation, there is no will. So both of them will both get it. 
they both need to approach the master's office and explain that the first one is a civil wife and the second one is a customary wife. That's if that's the case. If it's a different case, an attorney will need to sort of intervene and explain to them what the repercussions of what their husband has done is and sort of approach the high court for a suitable bearing on that one. All right, thank you. Um, the next question is, when will you advise a couple to enter into an in-community of uh, property contract? Nah, personally. <laughs> um, never. I can't. Um, knowing what I know, I can never... Um, advise that guys also remember that even if you are poor you have family members and you're living in a family home and when you get married you are going to share that family home with your wife when you get divorced they take a part of that so now all of your siblings need to be paying this person just so that they can move out of your home there's absolutely no way in this world that I will ever advise in community property. It just doesn't work in the climate that we live in. For me, it doesn't work. A different attorney can feel differently, but I just, I don't, I don't see it happening for me. No, I, I will never advise my clients to get married in community property. It's too, it's too messy, not just for divorce, but for just financial implications as well. I would never advise them to do that. Okay. Um, yeah. Another question says, um, I think you have answered this one. Can you change your amend terms of the marriage contract while you are still married? That is yes, yeah, I've answered this. Yeah, I think you have answered that one. Then there is one that says, what happens when the other party or partner refuses to attend counseling, yet they want divorce? Then you go and get a divorce and say that the other person was not willing to come to party and you had no other choice but to just sue for divorce. It's fine. You can't force them. It's okay. Okay. The um, thing is, the fact that they don't want counseling means it's an irretrievable breakdown. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Um, there is one that says, so there's no there's no two wives. Instead, there is um, a guy that left the wife and the wife died before the divorce. Can he come back and claim the assets and take away from the kids? No, his, no. Yes, he can claim. He can claim his share. Um, as unfair as it is, it was before the divorce, um, he can claim. But anytime there are kids, it's 50%. Guys, let's remember this. It's 50%. It's not 100%. It's 50%. The other 50% is going to be shared between the children. The children will all get a half share. A half share, this is now from 125,000 rand. If the child's share does not amount to 125,000 rand, 
then that means the children will divide whatever it is that they have between themselves. If there's three children and it's 80,000 rand, then they're going to divide the 80,000 rand by four. They have to also give their father the child's share. So he's going to get the 50% and the child's share and the children will also share by themselves. So he will get, but the children cannot, can never ever be missed when it comes to these things. They still get their chair. All right, thank you. Um, from the chat, I don't think I've missed anything. If there is, um, I think people should raise their hands now. Okay, thank you so much, Ndi. Hello, Ndi, I have my hand up. You Hello? are muted. Hi, Ndi, I have my hand up. May I speak? <laughs> Hello. Yes, you may. You can go ahead, um, Mr. Milak. Thank you. Um, just to say thank you to the speaker for um, the information. Um, it's quite um, helpful and informative. Um, I don't know if it, this is something that you can just try and clarify for us. Just from your comments, um, it would appear that you're quite against community of property. And when I heard your comments around what happens in, in uh, marriage with outside community of property and without accrual, you mentioned words, you used words like one can, can you don't co-sign, you don't get consulted and you don't know about those and therefore you're not responsible for paying for them. My my fear is that these are some of the these are the kinds of comments and kinds of fears that um, rather concerns that Christians have and end up seeing community of property as a Christian thing to do, in the sense that people might think that being married outside community of property without accrual means. Um, a woman can just do whatever she wants. I'm not the head of the house and all those kind of things. And if if you are getting married like that, you are almost preparing to, to be stingy and not give me anything should we divorce because you think you've got money and all of that. So people then tend to see that as being anti-Christian or, or being non-Christian and therefore um, perpetuate and advocate to the issues around around uh, community of property and, and, and see that as the Christian thing to do. Perhaps from a Christian point of view, how, how, how would you respond to those kind of fears and kind of um, stereotypes that people have around these kind of marriages? Thank you. All right, thank you. Um, number one, guys, when you do get married, you, you are trusting the person that you're getting married to. So I don't think that you should actually rely on a contract to tell you when you should tell your client, when you should tell, sorry, your spouse, um, if you're buying a, a car or a house or a fridge. That cannot, the contract cannot govern that. If you're getting married and you're Christian and you have your Christian beliefs, you have no ill intent or malicious behavior, no contract can actually get in the way of that. So I don't think that for me and the way that I actually explained it to you guys was that 
I was going to speak from my experience wherein I'm a Christian, married to a Christian, and I was surprised by what I could find. The fact that someone was actually taking out loans that I didn't know about. But I was happy that I was married out of commercial property. Would he have done the same thing? I don't know if he would have if we were married in commercial property. But nevertheless, it's just, I don't think that you can actually control anyone. And you know the person that you, you, you're getting married to. And if it is such a holy union as it's supposed to be, and you're entering into it with all good intent, no kind of matrimonial property regime should actually interfere with that. It should never. So, I mean, it's, I understand your question, but why should the type of property regime that you're involved in actually have to interrupt the way that you and your spouse are so used to living the whole time. It should not. It doesn't make sense. So if you're used to consulting each other, then continue consulting each other. If you want to start being dodged, then that's just who you are. And it has nothing to do with the property regime that you've chosen. It has everything to do with the kind of person that you are. I hope that it makes sense. It does. Thank you. Yeah. Do we have another question? But, I mean, does, does he understand? Is it okay? Does he, is, is, yeah. it good? is he satisfied? The thumbs up from his side. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Bazalwan. We, as 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 intended. Uh, thank you, Aus Caroline. There's a lot of stuff that has been very enlightening, and as I said to you, you are you are a perfect fit for our context, and <laughs> for all that. Firstly, um. For the for the for the content of the presentation itself, but also for your own experiences, yeah. So that even in the context of what people are going through, people can be informed from different perspectives. And when people make up their minds about what they want to do, how they want to do it, yeah, they have a broader perspective. So I want to thank you very much for that. And I want to thank everyone who has also contributed. Um, what I really uh, want to highlight from what you said is that people shouldn't think divorce is easy and cheap, you know, and that people should go as far as it is necessary to ascertain themselves that they have done everything yeah, you know, please, please. to ensure the, that marriage succeeds and that there's also different places like farms are all other places where they can go to seek help. Yeah. So I really thank you very much for that. And I think just as a note of 
closure for everyone. Uh, I want to thank everyone, the the eldership, the the people that have presented. We have sought to cover every area as best as we can. I think one of the things, one of the questions that we have also found a legal uh, answer to was the question we were answering yesterday that whatever methods when children are involved, there's gonna be a, a way that the law will decide what's best for the children, you know? And so we want to thank you so much. Uh, I was laughing at the, 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 the fee structure and thinking, okay, how many times did I SMS you? How many times did I call you? How many times did I, how many 35 friends are there? Yeah, but hey, yeah. I tell you, <laughs> uh, at least it hasn't gotten to 9,000. At but, least yeah. it not, hey? Not. No, it hasn't gotten to that. So thank you so much. I guess we will take out the rest of our discussions beyond this platform. And what was the other thing you wanted to send me as well? It was something that you said you will send me. Oh no, I said I'm going to send you um a sort of like a skeleton of what a parental yeah, plan parental like. plan, yes. Just yeah. so that yeah, you can just give it to your congregants and they they don't have to actually go through the hassle of going to an attorney just to sign that because it's very long. Thank you. thank you very much. So yeah. guys, thank you very much. And um I guess. Uh, if people still have issues that you would want to raise or you know other people that are going through divorce and you think they should see someone, you can either ask for the uh, for Caroline's uh, numbers from me or uh, if you, yeah, let's just keep it at that simpler that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm trying to look for that they get it. I don't see if he's still there. And that they get it. Are you there? Why don't I see you? Okay, I see who it's that they get it is there. So if that they get it is not there, I think he's there. If it is there, they are marriage in community of property. So, yeah, I'll just give over to him to just uh, make closing remarks and pray for us. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let me thank the speaker, uh, Caroline. Uh, thank you for your time and your presentation. We have really uh, learned a lot. Uh, am I visible? Okay, thank you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks to Ndate Mozipe and all the panelists who have uh, ministered to us from Monday as well. And thank you everybody for your for your attendance uh, online and in studio. We really appreciate. Want to appreciate the the couples ministry team leadership for putting together this week 
Uh, and yeah, thank you, thank you very much. We are really grateful uh, for tackling this very difficult topic. Uh, we've we've learned a lot uh, throughout the course of the week, and today zooming in on the the legal aspects and uh, the different contracts and uh, the ramifications thereof. So thank you very much. Uh, shall we pray? Blessed Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you this evening. Thank you for the teachings and the trainings. Thank you, Father, for, for the speaker and the, the wisdom she has imparted into our lives. We want to pray, Father, for marriages in the life of the church. We want to pray for all the couples intending to get married want to pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll be the one guiding, you'll be the one leading, you'll be the one protecting and upholding. You say in your word, Father, that marriage is honorable by all. We pray, Father, that we'll continue to hold it in great esteem. We'll continue to, to honor the institution, Father, that you have, you have established. We pray for love in our marriages. We pray for joy, restoration of joy. We pray for peace. We just pray, Father, for, for all the couples, that in everything, Father, that you shall be glorified, that in everything that your, your true nature, purpose and intention of marriage shall be established. We want to pray for, for the team that is leading the couples ministry, Father, that you continue to guide them, you continue to lead them, in everything, we speak your blessing upon the different families. We speak your blessing, Father, upon each and everyone attending these programs. Father, that these programs, Father, will be of benefit and great value, Father, in their lives and in their marriages. And Heavenly Father, that everything, as you say in your word, Father, that we shall be doers and not only hearers, but Father, that everything that has been taught and trained and shared throughout the course of the week, Father, that it, it shall be to the building of this great institution, even in the life of the church. We thank you in Jesus' blessed name. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us both now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.